Welcome to Podcast Sans Frontiers, a Metal Gear Solid audio experience. Here, we infiltrate the narrative, interrogate the characters, extract the themes, via Fulton, of course, and finally face down the technological behemoth that is the Metal Gear franchise. The only catch is you go in solo. The politically sensitive nature of the mission meets backup is not an option. Fine, I like some alone time now and then. I'm Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. Hi, I'm Brian. Today's episode is Age Hasn't Slowed You Down One Bit, our first of two episodes on MGSV Ground Zeroes from 2014. Today, we'll focus in on the game's primary mission. But first, our spoiler warning for this and every episode. Everything is declassified. We know who Sigint becomes. We know who Meryl marries. We know the fate of Master Kazuhira Miller. This is not a playthrough podcast. It's all on the table for discussion as we progress through the games. Additionally, I want to add a content and trigger warning for rape, child abuse, and forced sexual acts between minors. Before we dive into our coverage today, I do want to remind everyone that the Patreon supporting this podcast, patreon.com slash bomb, will be converting to patreon.com slash mybro, my cat, my pod. That will be for the Lord of the Rings podcast I also do. However, if you wish to continue supporting Podcast Sans Frontiers as we wind down our coverage, um, I would recommend remaining a patron through September and possibly even October. So before we even dive into the opening clip, we will need to fill in the gaps between Peace Walker and Ground Zeroes. Peace Walker ended with Snake defeating Metal Gear Zeke, which had been commandeered by Paz. Zeke would be recovered by MSF, while Paz's fate was unknown after she fell into the sea. Paz was recovered by Brazilian fishermen, but eventually she'd fall into the hands of XOF, the phantom copy of the Fox unit. XOF was the Fox cleanup crew, a team that went in behind Naked Snake in Selino Yarsk 11 years ago to make sure no trace of his infiltration was left and possibly also get some DNA samples from the likes of The End and The Pain given their abnormal abilities. XOF had since been dissociated from the CIA when Zero dissolved the Fox unit in the 70s, but he retained XOF and their commander, Skullface, as the special black ops crew for Zero's new intelligence outfit, Cypher. This is all happening in the silence, or margins, of Metal Gear Solid 3 and Peace Walker. Under the custody of XOF, Paz was then imprisoned at Camp Omega, a maximum security prison and military installation on the southern tip of the communist country of Cuba. Does that sound like anything you've ever heard of? Anyone? Anyone? 
Anyway, we're going to talk about Skullface in depth next time out, but just to lay out his big picture objectives, he wants to kill Big Boss and Zero, who themselves were warring at this time. Paz, ahead of the Peace Walker incident, had met face-to-face with Zero and appeared to be the only one who knew how to find him and where. Big Boss, Zero, and Skullface form yet another the good, the bad, and the ugly triumvirate, which will drive Metal Gear Solid V's story. Kazuhiro Miller would learn about Paz's capture. If you remember the secret tapes at the end of Peace Walker, it seemed like Kaz had his own line to Zero, even if they weren't allies. When Kaz told Big Boss, Boss suggested an assassination mission. Paz simply knew too much about Mother Base and MSF and that she was a threat to their existence. Unbeknownst to Snake and Kaz, Chico also got wind of Paz's capture, and having feelings for her, undertook his own rescue attempt, though he would end up captured in the process. But wait, there's more. The Internal Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, sent Mother Base a message that they'd they'd be coming to do a nuclear inspection, because MSF allegedly purchased nuclear fuel from Uzbekistan. This was a cover story. The IAEA was acting on behalf of Cypher and actually in search of Metal Gear Zeke and the nuke attached to it. Huey Emmerich sent an affirmation to the IAEA and MSF was basically committed at that point. Changing their minds would only draw more ire from the international community, so Boss and Kaz agreed to clean up MSF. They sent home all civilian members except Huey, so goodbye Cecile from Peace Walker. They sent the remaining Sandinistas to join Amanda in Cuba, where she was running her own clandestine operations, and removed all armored vehicles from the base and put Zeke on the ocean floor. For those curious, Doctor Strange had left the week before after resigning. Doctor Strange love. We'll later learn that after Chico was captured, he was tortured alongside Paz, and this included watching Paz get raped and then being forced to rape her himself. Throw in torture and beatings too. In our follow-up episode on Ground Zeroes, we will dive deeper into these quote-unquote darker themes Kojima is playing with and how well or poorly handled they are. It's worth discussing in its own space and not in the midst of a longer narrative recap. Skullface eventually would get all the info he wanted out of the two, about Big Boss, about MSF, and most of all, how to find Zero. And with that, he hatched his plan, starting with Chico sending an SOS to Mother Base, saying he and Paz needed to be saved. Boss and Kaz had suspected a trap, but they had few other options rather than letting the greatest living soldier go on yet another solo infiltration mission. That gets us to where we can actually talk about the story that we play through, but before we do that, let's discuss how MGSV builds on and relies on Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, a game that was mostly relegated to a handheld device, was the poorest selling of the Metal Gear titles, and was a game many had not played prior to playing MGSV. Did it really sell worse than portable ops? Oh, um, I'm not counting it since it's not a Kojima-directed game. Okay, okay. I thought I thought it would have sold more than that. It's a better game, so I mean, it's it's weird because it's it's the only like sequel, like straight up. Because I guess how long after Metal Gear, the original Metal Gear, is Metal Gear Two supposed to be? It's a couple years, right? In terms of timeline, yeah. Um, I the first Metal Gear set in 1995, and the second 1999. Um, so four years apart. Yeah, so it was it was I knew it was a few years, yeah. 
And then, yeah, uh, two is is a slight. I mean, it's not that much farther after one Metal Gear Solid two, but it is it's like three years. But it is like a different setup. Like it's it's all different. And then, yeah, obviously three, four is. Yeah, yeah. So Revengeance is is Revengeance is definitely a continuation of four, but it's not it's not directly afterwards with the same characters involved. So yeah. It's one of those things where every Metal Gear up until this point, um granted it's telling a larger story, but there was enough uh margin between each mm. game so that you're basically introducing a new cast each time out. So basically anyone can kinda come in uh with each new game. Yeah. Um and to be honest, I think more people came in with MGSV um, than, you know, probably MGS4 or something like that. Um, but this is the only one that's like a direct, direct continuation of everything that was happening in the previous entry or, yeah, previous Metal Gear entry. Mm-hmm. And just to uh, clear up some things, this is the shortest time frame, like in terms of the chronology of Metal Gear. Uh, Peace Walker ended in late 1974, I believe November or so. And then Ground Zeroes takes place in February and March of 1975. So not even a full year has passed since the end of Peace Walker. Um, And I think the biggest tells are that Kaz, Huey, Paz, and Chico are just pretty much continuing their stories and arcs right out of the gate from Peace Walker. Um, and of course the entire ground zeros kind of hinges on the destruction of mother base that we, that will happen at the end. Um, and that attachment to mother base, a lot of that comes from the work you would have done in peace Walker. Um, so it is kind of for people who didn't play peace Walker, it's almost like mother base is a phantom, um, like Mm. something, you know, you have to care about, or you're told you have to care about, but if you didn't put in the work in, it's not really there for you. Um, which is kind of interesting as well. Um, I will say on the main menu op- uh, main menu screen of Ground Zeroes, there is a menu option called Backstory, and it'll basically give you a full timeline, kind of starting with the death of the boss at the end of Operation Snake Eater, and then through all the events of Peace Walker, including mentioning uh, Zadornoff and uh, Hot Coldman and all of them yeah. as well. I love those in games. I'm a big fan of any time a game. It's interesting to see what the developers think is the most important. Because there's one for Psychonauts 2. It's it's like six, seven minutes. It's pretty good. Like it's it's a pretty good like primer for what exactly is going on. But it's also obviously there's a lot that it doesn't go over. In a game like Psychonauts, it's built on like set pieces and like like uh almost like um level design. It's really hard to do that, but it, it still works. I just I'm always interested to see what the previously ons even for a game like Alan Wake, which which is built into episodes that are all part of the same game, like it, it, so you finish an episode and then it just has a quick credits thing and it just goes right to the next previously on Alan Wake and it just shows what you just did, which is great. But it's it's still interesting in that to see what they find is actually like worth, uh, referencing, mm-hmm. and and uh, and then you get the next time uh, the you know uh, the Mad Men previews where it's just like a man in a suit. <laughs> it's like the most obscure uh, uh, like uh, impossible to parse shit you've ever seen in your life it's i love that too mm-hmm. uh, anytime how- anytime where create where the creator gets to recap it their own work or preview their own work it's always interesting to see what they consider important mm-hmm. i guess is what i'm saying yeah no absolutely and i think metal gears generally being super dense um, just to pick out exactly what, you know, Kojima or whoever was saying, like, make sure you paid attention to this fact specifically. Um, yeah, always kind of interesting. Yeah, and even if Peace Walker is, like, I think, slightly less dense than some of the other ones. 
like plot wise at least there's there's a little bunch yeah, of yeah it's really straightforward i would say he told us everything don't worry i kept my word he didn't suffer long here you earned it How's it feel to play the traitor? No more war games. You're a real man now, soldier. Give my regards to your boss when you get home. The game's story opens up with a credit roll as Skullface, never directly pictured, approaches the prison camp where Chico is being held. We see Kojima's name quite a bit, writing, directing, producing credits, etc., as the camera squares up a sign that says Camp Omega. Just want to pause here to note that the camera in MGSV almost never cuts. It's treated as one long handheld take, so it's going to whip around quite a bit in this and the cutscenes in The Phantom Pain. Um, it's kind of truly insane if you really like zero in on everything the camera is doing. Um, do you have any thoughts on it, Brian? It's not very intrusive, though. Like, you don't really notice it unless you're looking for it. It, um, I'm not 100% sure if he was going for a specific, like, was there some movie he watched that did this? Because I'm assuming that's, I mean, again, we, we give Kojima too much credit for thing, but this is definitely something it would have been his idea, like 100%. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if there was, like, did he just watch Birdman or something? And he was like, that's cool. I want to do that. I think it works, though. It definitely fits with Phantom Pain in general is, like, a little less intrusive with its presentation than some other Metal Gears. It's a little, mm-hmm. little, I don't know, calmer is the right word. More, and not detached. It is a little more detached, but it's a little more... Like just, it's a lot less flashy. It's a lot more naturalistic, kind of like all the presentation, more diegetic stuff. More, which is crazy for him to do more diegetic stuff. But um, I I like it. It's it's good. I mean, the the first thing when you said what I think, like I can't think of anything about it. A, A video game camera is a lot like like an offensive line or a relief pitcher where it's like, if you don't think of the less you think about them, the better they are. Like the less you notice mm-hmm. them. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a, it's like a bridge. Like if the bridge is working fine, you don't even think about it. If it's not, then Hey, <laughs> you got problems. But like, uh, yeah, I, I think the camera is good. I think it's, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's, this is the only game it does have a, technically it does have a, subsist, a subsist, subsistence style release with the game of the year version. Mm-hmm. But this is the only one that I think like doesn't have any major improvements to be made. Like it's the first metal gear in a long time. that doesn't have like a bad camera <laughs> at release. I guess fours is fine, but I, I, there are, I have some problems with, I think it's a perspective they have. I'm talking about mm-hmm. the gameplay camera specific. That's a problem with a lot of PS3 games to me. Like they have weird perspectives. So you get caught on geometry a lot. That happens with a lot of games in that generation, but it seemed to be more PlayStation games for whatever reason. Uh, I think with the camera here, 
Um, a lot of our conversations are going to be kind of like jumping from someone's face to another, like skull face to venom snake or ocelot to cause to quiet, something like that. Um, and I think it's very much that Kojima never really wants to pull back and give you a full picture of everything yeah. that's going on. Um, because there is a lot of like deception and lies. Um, I can't do a Saw Gerrera voice here. Um, but I think there's, I think it's supposed to make you feel limited at some points, like what's happening. But I think he also uses it to effect, especially with uh, Mantis, um, like showing us what kind of Mantis is doing by parking the camera behind the character that Mantis is either helping yeah. or ensorceling or stuff. So I think he uses it to good effect. Um, but it is, it's just different than a lot of other games would do their cutscenes and even how Metal Gear would do their cutscenes and say MGS4 or something like that. It is more like how uh, Death Stranding does its cutscenes. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So that's just like a Hisao style. And, uh, you know, it, it's a style. Yeah, it's it's totally fine. Our first look at Skullface comes as a reflection in the goggles of one of XOF's troops. Reflections are going to be important in discussing MGSV. Venom Snake as a reflection of Big Boss, Skullface as a reflection of Big Boss as well, XOF as a reflection of Fox, etc., Reflections work into the larger imagery of this game, of smoke and mirrors, which we will see a lot of, especially in The Phantom Pain. The most iconic scene of the Venom Snake Big Boss switcheroo takes place looking into a mirror and edges of frame are obscured by smoke. This game is all smoke and mirrors, of sleights of hands and tricks, of doublespeak and phantoms and shadows on the wall. Whether it's Zero pulling one over on Snake, or, or Mother Base, or Skullface pulling one over on Zero, or Kojima pulling one over on the player, this game is steeped in deceptions and we will call out both the imagery and lies as we progress through the game. Skullface, now talking to Chico, lets us know that he's got all the intel he needed out of both Chico and Paz and returns to him his Walkman. Skullface calls Chico a real man now, soldier, which is a direct continuation of Chico's desire to not be treated like a kid in Peace Walker. The headphones Chico has also appear to be running out of his chest, which will come back when we get to the Africa portion of the Phantom Pain. Give my regards to your boss when you get home, Skullface says as he departs, hinting that not only is Big Boss on his way to save Chico, but that he'll be quote-unquote successful in doing so. The trap is set. Chico presses play, and here's to you, serenades us as we watch Skullface drive off to the heliport. And this is the original version of Here's to You by Joan Baez and Ennio Morricone, not the cover that ended Metal Gear Solid 4. We get another indirect glance at Skullface, this time through the rearview mirror on his Jeep. And then we hear our boys. Ten days ago, we got reports that Poss was still alive. She survived. She was rescued by a Belizean fisherman who found her drifting in the Caribbean. So what's the plan? Silence her before we're compromised? No. I've got something else in mind. Our friends at Cypher suspect Pos could be a double agent. She's being held for interrogation at a camp on the southern tip of Cuba. Black site. Nice. A slice of American pie on communist soil and out of U.S. legal jurisdiction. The upcoming inspection of Mother Base has to be connected somehow. The timing's too perfect. The UN's nuclear inspection. My guess is they're trying to corroborate Paz's leak. We're an army without a nation. Kaz and Snake run down the scenario for the player, and yes, that's a radically different Snake voice than David Hayter's. Give us one moment, we'll come back to that. 
At the heliport, Skullface uses some laser tool to erase the XOF marker on his chopper and says, the Trojan horse is in. As the music stops and we get our first actual look at his face or what's left of it. Worth noting that in the credits of this game, Skullface is only referred to as Agent, and even well into the Phantom Pain, Kaz will just call him that man with a skull for a face. He's a phantom in his own right, an outline of a man who barely exists. Skullface, who's on a tight schedule, departs as we get a good aerial view of Camp Omega. Snake and Kaz continue as we see Skullface's men drop their XOF patches out of the chopper. This will become an optional objective for this game, recovering all those XOF patches. As the patches fall, a single man in a sneaking suit with a fox patch climbs up a cliffside. Snake crests the top of the cliff, an homage to the guns of Navarone, slinks towards the sneak point, and then rises up in a crouch and lifts up his night vision goggles. Kept you waiting, huh? Boss may look a little aged, but boy, the snake model looks wonderful on the PlayStation 4 or Xbox One engine here. The wrinkles, the beard, the stitching on his eye patch, the sleekness of the sneaking suit. There's a reason this rendering of Snake has become iconic, a stock photo used for any Metal Gear Solid article used going forward. But although Snake looks familiar, he sure as hell doesn't sound familiar. Gone is David Hayter, here is Kiefer Sutherland, most prominently known at this time for his role as Jack Bauer from 24. Not giving hot take here when I say everyone prefers Hayter to Sutherland, and I've been very keen in our previous coverage to highlight what magnificent work and shading Hayter has given to each iteration of Snake. But I'll throw it to Brian first, and then I'll come back with my thoughts on Kiefer Sutherland taking over the voice acting performance. It's, I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot. Like, he's... Uh, to get it out of the way, like Kiefer Sutherland is a good actor, like a good voice actor and a good actor. Like he does fine. There's nothing wrong with his performance. He does exactly what he's asked to do. It's just, I am conflicted over if it's supposed to be for a specific artistic purpose or if he just, if Kojima was just like, Ooh, I can work with the guy from the lost boys. Like <laughs> I, I get the, like, the sneaking suspicion. It may be more the latter. And he kind of, did more of the former as like a way to paper it over to make us ashamed of our thoughts and deeds, you know, the classic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kojima style, but like, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's unfortunate. I really do like it. I feel like hater should have gotten a chance. Cause at the same time, it's, this is not, this is not like the biggest script for him in the world. Like the, not the most talkative snake. Like it's at least good that, that hater got to do peace Walker where snake is cool and is the best character. Mm-hmm. And is like ha- is the most interesting person in the game. That's fun. This is more like almost like a a, a Nolan Batman performance where like everyone else is oh, acting around cool. him, and Kiefer just says like, "Okay," every thirty seconds or whatever. I'm here to stop you. Okay, thanks, thanks, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think that's uh, fairly that's probably around where I fall. Um, and we know that uh, I think. Kojima looked as early as Metal Gear Solid 3 for having a new voice for Naked Snake mm-hmm. Big Boss. Um, he looked at Kurt Russell back then, I think we discussed in our Metal Gear Solid 3 coverage. Um, and, you know, Kojima is a bit of a star fucker, mm-hmm. um, especially in the last 10 years, I would say. Specifically, his star fucking has reached new heights. Um, so I think some of it is that. Um, and, 
you know, there's, I think people say that there's not a lot of voice performance there. And at least with that, I'll say there's a lot more voice performance than you probably think there yeah. is just by virtue of the audio cassettes. And- but even then, even then snake in the cassettes is still more being told things and then reacting mm-hmm. to them. He's oh, not sure. like, there's not a lot of, cause in, in peace Walker, there's a lot of similar tapes, you know, the Che Guevara tapes, but those are like cause and snake having a discussion. Like it's snake, talking about something Che Guevara did for 45 seconds and then Kaz talks about it. This one, it's more mm-hmm. Kaz or Ocelot talking for 90 seconds and then Snake having 10 seconds of dialogue afterwards. But there's still, it does add up to like, it's it's still a pretty, there's a lot of performance there. It's just not, let's, uh, we'll, we'll give uh, some other time, we'll give Troy Baker credit for <laughs> delivering the most exposition in the history of video games. Yeah, absolutely. In, in this game, like he's, that's a lot. Um, and I think specifically with, um, I think this is more the Phantom Pain than Ground Zeroes, but the few cutscenes that you actually do experience as part of the game, uh, Venom Snake is often absolutely quiet in those. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't say a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking specifically when um, that one scene where Sahelanthropus is holding him upside down and Skullface walks yeah. up to him. Um, and then also the Jeep ride with Skullface. Those are just scenes where Snake is being talked to um, and he's not actually really part of the conversation. Uh, so like when you do see him in cutscenes, Snake almost says nothing. He's being shadow banned. <laughs> That's a great way. He said something naughty or he told the politician to fuck off on uh, Twitter. Fuck off. Because um, I do think the voice acting is a little bit flat and I kind of fall into your place where I don't really know if that's intentional or not. Um, because it does thematically work, especially with like Venom Snake mm, specifically, mm. who is supposed to be an empty vessel um, and supposed to reflect the kind of hollowed out state of both the player and the franchise at this point. Um, I feel like it would honestly work best if Hater did the Ground Zero voice and Kiefer did the Phantom Pain voice. But the problem with that, that, would that give is, it away. yeah, if if you did the op- the intro, if you did the first mission with Phantom Pain and David Hater came up to you like, hey, follow me. You'd be like, oh, oh, OK, Snake. <laughs> yeah exactly it, it would be it would be too obvious so i feel like if you i mean it would have been better just to have see the thing is too you could have had i don't know if Kiefer. i don't know i don't know if they asked him to but you could have had in in the beginning of phantom pain you could have had hater doing his normal speaking voice as as when he's actually snake trying to oh, hide yeah. himself because he can that you know the snake voice is not his speaking voice Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's the same guy, obviously, but like that's a voice he's doing. It's like the Kevin Conroy Batman thing, where like it's a when he's Bruce Wayne, he's just speaking like a normal actor, Kevin Conroy, and when he's Batman, he's doing his his Batman voice, and mm-hmm. it works. It works great. There's there's plenty of scenes in that show where like in nightmare versions of Batman talk to each other and they sound like different people. Um, you could have done that with Hater because he's a I mean he's a better voice actor than Kiefer Sutherland. Like, yeah, it's not again. It's not like Kiefer Sutherland's bad. He's a good. He's a very good actor, and he does like he does. It's not like he does anything wrong in this game. It's just David Hayter is one of the all time great performers, and so it's really a shame we and, didn't get David Hayter and, and and Troy Baker having long conversations with each other. I would have loved it. Yeah, uh, the one I most regret is probably if we uh, not getting David Hayter doing the Shining Lights mm-hmm. uh, mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Kiefer does fine. I think everything in that scene works really well, but. Um, I think that's where Hater really could have uh, made an impact uh, specifically because that's probably Venom Snake's biggest talking portion mm-hmm. in the entire game. Yeah, he would have smashed that. So with all that out of the way, let's get to the game. First off, we see Snake crouch from his vantage point and look down on Camp Omega in a magnificent shot of character and setting. 
doing some PSF old hat here, but this is the shot Kojima has been trying to create since Metal Gear 2 uh, Solid Snake on the MSX. Snake arriving at the fortress he must infiltrate was echoed in his ascent to the heliport at Shadow Moses, and again when he arrives at Groznygrad in MGS3. This is an establishing shot Kojima loves, and we've seen him carry forward that meme into many of his titles. The player takes control here, and the first objective, well, ostensibly you can go in any order, is to extract Chico from the prison camp to the east of the base. The inclement weather is a result of a nearby hurricane, which reduces both visibility and sound Snake makes, an important part of the weather system in the Fox engine. Can you fire a hurricane? Sorry, a dirty rock joke. Yeah. Um, we can talk a little bit about actually working your way from the sneak point to Chico's cage on the east part of the island. Um, it's not a far jaunt. Um, you basically have to work your way past two uh, watchtowers along the way. Um, there's some enemy patrols. So uh, you can go ahead and share your experience of saving Chico. Uh, well, if I, if I can remember eight years ago when I did it for the first time, because I played, I, I played through the main story a couple months ago. And like it's very different. Like I'm so used to the Fox Engine now. It was like I I was I was going slow when I played this game originally. I was inching through it, trying to figure out the best. Like I was looking through my binoculars, marking everything, making extremely slow progress. So it felt like kind of like I was actually cosplaying. I was actually playing as Snake. Whereas now, like I, I'm confident enough, I can just kind of slip past people. You know, you kind of know the the distance for it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I took a long time. I think I went, I, yeah, I went around the whole perimeter. I remember that. And I went, I think I went into the base a little bit to like grab guys and, and see what was going on. And then I think I got spotted and killed. I remember getting killed pretty early on and then restarting. Um, but I got there pretty, I, I definitely went right to Chico pretty quickly, like 10, 12 minutes as soon as I started. I didn't start, you don't really start poking around and figuring out the whole map until really honestly, until after the main mission's over. That's what that's how I did it. Yeah, like finding all the little side stuff. I I remember getting really, and we will talk about this some other time. I remember not really getting super comfortable with the layout until I was doing the side mission where you have to find all the logos for all the Metal Gear games, which I loved. Because mm-hmm. that was the, then I was just like I was just like knocking everybody out and walking around freely in the open air and just yeah. looking at stuff, finding where things were. Because, uh, yeah, it's hard to find those. Lo- or those logos are in a bunch of weird spots, so you have to really explore. So, yeah. It's best to have nobody of it, like, no chance of being spotted, yeah. So the, the first time through when I'm only focused on beating, or, you know, the mission objectives, Chico and Paz, um, you can basically, once you make your way into the base, um, you have to sneak by one watchtower and you can take out the guard on the way. Um, and then you can basically hug the map, you know, the right of the mm-hmm. map and follow it all the way around to the east uh, base. There is another watchtower you have to kind of keep an eye out for. Um, there's at least one truck that drives by around here. And um, visibility of enemies when in vehicles is much higher than when on foot. Um, so that's something that the game tries to teach you early. Um, right in front of you is a little room that you can pick the lock of and get some weapons out yes. of. But it was not something I went to until I was replaying the mission and really exploring the map. Um, so uh, is there anything else that happens in this part? Um, oh, if so the binoculars, and we're going to talk about the binoculars in our gameplay episode, but they have a built-in directional microphone in them. Uh, so as you're kind of marking, you know, 
looking through your binoculars and marking guards for um, your heads up display. If you zoom in on them and two uh, soldiers are next to each other, you can pick up their conversation. And a lot of them are talking about how weird Skullface and his troops are, uh, which is just kind of funny. The people who are like normally manning the base are ostensibly like U.S. Marines or something like that. Um, and then XOF has been working in and out of the base to do their like black ops or whatever. Another continuation of Peace Walker. That uh, you're you're directly opposing the United States military, which is good. Mm-hmm. On a U.S. base. Snake discovers Chico, but Chico is resistant to help. Whether he knows this is a trap for Snake or he's just a broken man, he kicks up a fuss that alerts the other prisoners of Snake's presence. With no other choice, he chokes out Chico. He also notices that Chico has been bolted in his ankles, leaving him unable to walk. Paz isn't in the neck in the cell next to him as expected, so Snake calls for an exfiltration of Chico at a nearby LZ just outside the base. While waiting for the chopper, Snake asks Chico about Paz. Chico lets Snake listen to one of his audio cassettes, believing that Paz is dead. This is also what Skullface told him. The audio cassette tracks the audio of the trip from the prison camp to Paz's holding place in the admin building to the north. Snake can use the tape audio to track the path, with flagpoles, helicopters, and garage doors cluing him in to the right direction. So we can talk about working from Chico's uh, exfiltration to uh, where Paz is holed up. Uh, do you remember how you did it? Uh, not the specific. I, I remember not looking it up, though, because I, I, I was like, well, I know I trust this game well enough to like give me real... One of my favorite things a game can do is give you real, like, have you actually use the game world itself to navigate and not just, like, give you a, a like, a quest marker or a dotted line, GTA style. Mm-hmm. Um, and this definitely did that. I definitely did that the first time through. I think I got confused. The garage doors I didn't understand for a bit, so that took me a little while. But it took me, it was, like, 20, 30 minutes before I really figured it out. And then I... I mean, I felt again when I replayed it a few months ago. I just, I just like walked right there. I knew where I was going. Mm-hmm. So it's it's different. It's it's a different experience. Um, really, that's that's the thing with a lot of this game. I mean, that's true of any game. I feel like, but these these two games being so built on the the big wide world with like the open area and like the exploration stuff, it feels like it's a lot less like it's it's you you're losing something in the second and subsequent playthroughs because it's not it's just not as clean it's not it doesn't feel as much like you're actually playing the story um whereas like three you know three is just still mostly a linear like you're going right through maps so it's it's less there's less like exploration i guess there's some areas where you're, you're gonna know what you're doing ahead of time but it's a lot less of a um an issue uh yeah yeah, I can't remember the exact order, but I remember hiding in a truck at one point. I remember... I think I did go up in, into the guard tower there. Mm-hmm. There's there's usually some good uh, goodies, re- re- depending on what mission. Well, more just like, I think I think I got... I was getting spotted a lot, so I was just going to take everybody out. That's my default response in Metal Gear, is if, if I'm getting... There's a lot of people spotted me, I'm just going to go around the whole area and, and knock everybody out. That's fair. I give them all permanent brain damage because so we we operate with Batman rules in this universe. Whereas if uh, as long as somebody is uh, um, as long as they're not dead, they're fine. They'll, they'll wake up perfectly mm-hmm. healthy. It's okay. You can be unconscious for thirty minutes and you're you'll be fine. You won't suffer brain damage. 
the first time I played uh, through this, I uh, just stuck to my strategy of hugging the far right of the map yeah. and working my way from the prison camp. I'm sure I did that. Um, and that's also the path the truck takes, so it'll line up with the audio uh, that you play from Chico's tape. Um, working along the right side of the map, you will see the first couple security cameras here in this game. Um, and maybe a change from, say, Metal Gear Solid 1, uh, which had security cameras as well, is that if you decide to take out the security cameras, that itself uh, raises like a caution status or an active search status for the enemy. So um, you, you learn how to sneak past them. Hit There's another... Yep. Uh, weapons uh, depot right around the corner here. And in there is a silenced automatic lethal pistol um, if you need some more firepower and also a rocket launcher, which can be very useful in the last part of the mission. Um, and then right outside of this little weapons depot is a little hole in the ground where you can do some crawling through the vents um, and kind of avoid the helipad proper and get to the door to the admin building on the east side of um, the building itself. Now, with subsequent playthroughs, I actually work all the way back around the base and come in through the west, um, because in the west side, there is access to a power generator, um, and you can kill all the lights and power in the building, which will also kill all the security cameras, which just makes things easier. Mm -hmm. um, usually, when you kill the power in this game, that means like a nearby guard will go check on the power, so you can always usually get a free knockout or tranquilize or whatever you're doing with the enemies on this guy. Um, and then there is another weapons depot on the west side of the building as well. Okay, and that's Hitman style. Mm -hmm. um, and through the west side is also where you can access the tallest guard tower, the one Brian said he uh, got up into yep. earlier as well. I definitely, I don't, maybe I did it afterwards, but I definitely, my first time through, I was up there because I was like confused, didn't know where I was going. Yeah. Um, this game also has. Um, like mini objectives, like if you mark all the soldiers in a mission, that's like a little bonus. Um, so that's usually like the best spot on this map to like mark as many people as possible because it is the highest point mm -hmm. as well. This is definitely because this is 2014. This is I was still I, I swear because I am I'm very much a stealth game guy now. Like that's maybe my favorite genre. But I 2014, I'd only really played. I would say I played the original Deus Ex Sun, which is not really a stealth game. Uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution, Dishonored, and then like Metal Gear Solid Three, Metal Gear Solid, like the other Metal Gear Solids. I did not, and I right. hit Blood Money, which is kind of a stealth game, but I wasn't very good at any of those. I would say, like, I definitely got better. I think I was I was decent at three at this point. I beaten it a couple times, and I, I knew more or less what I was doing. But this is a very mm -hmm. different game than that. Very different kind of stealth game. I definitely did not have the Again, I made I made a joke that that was a Hitman thing, but that like now that I've played three to four hundred hours of Hitman, <laughs> I'm uh, distracting guards and and like manipulating them to move different places is second nature. Like I can do it in any game that lets you do it, I will just do it. Um, so like, last time I played three, I was just like toying with guard, like five six guards at a time, moving them all around, doing like the you know you see people with with Phantom with Phantom Pain like putting up a bunch of inflatable guys and, and like hurting all the guards to one spot and then like knocking them out with long grenade throws and stuff like just like mm -hmm. doing really actually like impressive stuff. I, I was not doing that in 2014. I, so I was kind of the classic stealth game where it's like you're um, 
the entire time you're playing, you go from in control to out of control extremely quickly. You're like a person stumbling on rollerblades. Like you're almost about to fall the entire time. Mm -hmm. So you're just trying to catch up, trying to keep your feet under you and not be spotted, which is a really exhilarating way to play a video game. That's why I like them. But maybe I'm too good at them now that I, uh, I just... Whenever anything goes wrong in a stealth game now, I just immediately react and take care of it. Well, before I would like run away and hide, like ah, oh. mm-hmm. and I, that's I think that's a more that's not a, that's not a, a snake way to play the game, but that's a more uh, normal human reaction to playing it, which yeah, I kind yeah. of miss having. <laughs> it's like now I can't play Half Life without like I, I, there's no like oh I'm being surprised. It's like I, I memorize all the guard patterns. I know what's happening when, you know I can beat Half-Life 2 on hard in like six hours because I just know what I'm doing, which is, you know, maybe not good. Maybe not the best for my brain. But hey, what can I do? As Snake finds Paz in the boiler room basement of the admin building all strung up. He cuts her down as she mumbles about all the trauma she's undergone in Skullface's capture. At this point, the goal is to get Paz and Snake out of the base. There'll be a patrol that comes in to check on Paz shortly after you nab her, so if you don't stick around to neutralize them, the general alarm will go up at the base. So we can also talk about extracting Paz from uh, Camp Omega. The closest LZ, or landing zone, is on the helipad right outside of the admin building, but this is also the most heavily fortified um, of the landing zones, and you'll uh, come under a lot of fire if you use it. Um, the enemy patrols are also a bit different once you grab pause. They are not exactly the same. Um, knocked out troops will remain knocked out, but where you might have been expecting sentries from the their like patrols before you got into the admin building, um, that doesn't necessarily hold true. And most of all, there's going to be an ATV um, that is now parked on the helipad, and it's like literally facing the exit from the admin building, so you have to be super careful. Um, so the first time through, I used the LZ right on the helipad, um, referencing that rocket launch- launcher I grabbed from the uh, weapons depot uh, right outside the admin building. I used that to destroy the ATV and then basically kind of just hid and then ran for the Morpho helicopter as soon as it touched down. Um, but that was like the first time through in subsequent playthroughs. I actually just take my time and kind of trank and work my way back outside the camp, either to snake's original sneak point or to the point where, um, you, ex- you extract Chico. So, um, how do you, how do you generally go about this? That was a hundred percent how I did it the first time. I remember getting stuck. I definitely had, and I, I, I remember now I definitely did go to the, that guard tower the, before this, because I took her up there and hid her there. Because I had been spotted and I had to fight my way. I had, had an extended firefight with like six, seven guards that I had to kill them all. That mm-hmm. I definitely remember. I was hurt pretty bad. And so I didn't even go for the helipad. I was like, there might be guys there. I left and went back to where Chico gets extracted. I think that's the easiest, simplest place. I also like that area. It's just like, it's a fun, like, mm-hmm. atmospherically is like a cool area to be around. Like Yeah, it's, it's like a little cave. Um, like island or like <clears throat> peninsula thing off the island or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I like it. So that's, that's definitely what I did. It took me a little longer, but it was it's a good way to end it. I feel like Morpho, the call sign for Snake's helicopter, whisks them away from Camp Omega and back towards Mother Base. Morpho comes from the Morpho butterfly, which has been an important symbol in these big boss games. 
Snake molds the C3 in the Shagohod hangar into a butterfly, and when he enters the boss's AI pod in Nicaragua, it similarly is filled with Morpho butterflies. The blue Morpho, in fact. On the ride back, Chico points to a giant scar on Paz's belly, likely containing an explosive. Kojima did love the Dark Knight, if you recall the guy in the prison with the cell phone bomb inside him. They have to operate on her then and there to remove the bomb, and in frame steps a a medic, whose face is not seen during this or a later cutscene. This medic will go on to become Big Boss's Phantom, Venom Snake in the Phantom Pain, but of course, we'll get there. It's funny looking back, I distinctly remember after this, there were, I don't know if it was on Reddit, because I don't think I was, I don't really use Reddit much now, I don't think I was using it all then. Maybe it was on like NeoGAF or some kind of forum I remember checking to see what people thought about it. And I remember there were several people who were like, it was weird you didn't see that medic's face. And other people were being like, you're looking too much into it. It's like, well, no, some people did pick it up pretty quickly. I don't think I really noticed, but I definitely, I mean, I think by the time, um, I definitely felt like he wasn't Venom, like wasn't Big Boss at some point during that game though. Mm -hmm. I think uh, for me, it's one of those things where I think I definitely did notice in the moment, like, hey, we're not seeing this guy's face. But then because of everything that happened, it's not a thought that yes. stuck with yeah. me after the ending. Um, but then when you go back, it seems kind of obvious knowing what the actual story is. And that's a good twist. That's, what it, that's, that's, that's a well-written twist that seems like, um, I mean, uh, classically, uh, the Darth Vader twist. He's, the interest he shows mm-hmm. in Luke before the twist is, you know, originally you just think like, oh, he's, he wants to kill this guy or he wants to turn him. But you know, the interest he shows in him, after, like when you know what's coming, it's very obvious what he's like trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, going back to Metal Gear, like uh, the riding thing, like the, the right. simulation thing, very obvious in retrospect. That's, that's how, that's a good twist. The twist in Nice of, of the Old Republic, which I won't say because you haven't played it. <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you. While this operation occurs on pause, Huey calls Snake to let him know that the IAEA inspection went great and Zeke was not discovered. Morpho would shortly thereafter lose contact with Mother Base. Back to pause, the medic was able to extract the bomb within her for disposal and patch her back up. Tragedy strikes as Big Boss pulls up to Mother Base. The multi-platform base is on fire with ongoing shootouts and aerial bombardment lighting the place up. The chopper stops off at one of the struts, allowing Boss to, get, Boss to get in on the action and help defend his troops. Him and a small cadre of them are able to escort Kaz onto a chopper. Kaz here has all his limbs, which will be the last time we really see him fully able-bodied. Boss secures Kaz, but all the other troops, except for the medic that stayed on the chopper, in his escort are killed before they can disembark. I also want to call out that in this scene, we see Big Boss actually take out choppers and kill XOF troops. Since MGS3, I've noted we've never actually seen Snake shoot and kill someone aside from the boss. Seeing him kill now stood out to me as both MGSV being a different type of story, one that sets up Big Boss's rise to quote-unquote war criminal, as we'll discuss later in our coverage of The Phantom Pain. I think it also points to... It's a weird thing to say considering he's killing people, but I think it points to him being a little more mentally stable after Peace Walker. Like he's overcome Mm -hmm. the boss a little bit more. 
Like he, he's he's embraced who he is. Yeah, he's he's decided he can still be a soldier. Like because that was you know big theme of Peace Walker is that he's mentally like unfit to really he can't do the things he probably should be doing to to like he just won't do it because he's so caught up emotionally with, from the boss's death. And this feels like more. I also you know I feel like it it does work because I feel like he has a lot of pride in in weather base mm-hmm. and he loves his men. So I think he would kill to defend his men. Yeah. I think that's the biggest part is that he, he's doing this because every, every other time we talk about snake, not killing someone in a cutscene, he's essentially on a solo mission and doing stuff. But this is like the first time he has like a real community or nation as this game will talk about, um, or refer to mother or what big boss is building here. So, um, I think he's looking out for his own, his people, um, which I think is powerful in a couple of ways. So I really like that. Um, but I'd, I don't think I would have noticed that if I hadn't noticed that he wasn't killing people yeah. in the earlier game's cutscenes. And anyways, the XOF guys are in the game much more than like they're they're in the game much to a much higher extent than like random Russian soldiers. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. those these guys are part of they're part of the entire story. So I don't think I think that's something that's that seems like snakes less so. I guess Solid Snake doesn't, but big like, boss these are like clear kind of enemies yeah. whereas everywhere else is like snake these are just the soldiers that happen to be manning the yeah, place yeah. like you think of the tanker stage in a solid snake uh or sorry metal gear solid 2 like snake doesn't want to kill those people be- and they get killed by the russians before he even starts really but um same idea he's not trying to kill most of the people on the maps in the previous games whereas here he is trying to stop xof yeah or like the, the genome soldiers were just like i don't think he wanted to kill them his brothers. Yeah, and then like a lot of the uh the in Metal Gear Solid 4, a lot of the places are literally just collateral, like literally proxy wars going on. So like mm-hmm. why why is he gonna be killing especially not gonna be killing like the, the resistance fighters? The militia. Like, yeah, like why would he mm-hmm. do that? But whereas like when you're on like I mean that it's it makes sense, like thinking of Metal Gear Solid 2. He doesn't have any problem uh shooting people on when he's when they're on Arsenal. Like because right. those those people are in the game. They are part of all this they're they, they're working directly like they know what they're doing i guess is what i'm saying they know why they're there they know who he is they know who like they know who meryl marries no, they, uh. <laughs> it's the it's the mike ermintrout thing yeah. they're in the yeah, game that's what i'm thinking so from. you know they're on they've made bad choice road their path so if they get shot so so it goes anyway the chopper pulls away as snake and Kaz look mournfully as mother base collapses what they work so hard to build, this new kind of business, has gone up in flames. Kaz is really upset, visibly angry, and ready to deliver one of this game's most persisting memes. They played us like a damn fiddle! Give it back! This isn't right, that was ours! We built it, damn it! Kaz turns to Paz, who he blames, but Paz is preoccupied. There's another bomb inside her, specifically inside her vagina, and she opens the side door to jump out the chopper before it blows up, but sadly not soon enough. She explodes mid-fall, taking the chopper with it. Snake is blown back, but thankfully that medic was there to shield boss at the last moment, taking most of the damage. The chopper careens out of control and we fade to black. An epilogue card lets the player know that the smoke from the carnage was visible from the coastline and public blame fell on well-funded private militias up to no good. 
The U.S. and other countries were fingered as clients, but the U.S. Secretary of Defense denied any connection to the pirate outfit. The IAEA also denied any inspection having taken place at this offshore plant. I haven't seen that really lately. That's, I don't love how persistent it really is. It's, a, it's a, more of a dead meme. I mean, part of that is I feel like um, as time has gone on, almost every other meme from Metal Gear has been completely overridden by all Metal Gear Rising memes. <laughs> they have devoured the rest of the series memetically. So credits roll as Skullface introduces Here's to You for the audience, letting us know it's Paz's favorite song and if she thinks her sacrifice will have the impact that Nicola and Bart did as the characters being from that song. We get the title card at the end with more Skullface audio. This time he's lamenting that no one knows where Zero is. Well, no one except Paz. The audio is an interrogation of her. Skullface gives us some of his backstory, mentioning he doesn't know where he's from or what language he speaks, setting up the themes for The Phantom Pain. Paz seems willing to divulge Zero's whereabouts if Skullface doesn't hurt Big Boss and promises to eliminate Zero. Skullface is non-committal on the first, and he's not doing it for her on the second. Even though we mentioned Skullface's obje- objectives up top, this is where we actually find out Zero is his main target. We also get a Metal Gear timeline from 1975 to 2008, which references real-world events in Vietnam, Nicaragua, Afghanistan, Africa, and Iran, several of those being settings in Metal Gear, including ones we're going to see in The Phantom Pain. There's also mention of the birth of Hal Emmerich. There's two timeline entries I want to call out specifically. 1976, Les Enfants Terribles is abandoned. We know Snake and Liquid were born in 1972. This 1976 date gives us a time range now where we can possibly slot in Solidus's creation, and also Zero is abandoning the genetic clones of Big Boss, which sets up his pivot to the mimetic clone of Big Boss he's about to make in Venom Snake. The other timeline note is 2008 and the President of the United States promises to close down a black site at Gitmo, which is a direct shot at Obama, who promised to close Gitmo day one, but as of 2022, our illegal torture black site remains open. We'll dive into that a bit more next time out. To be continued in The Phantom Pain flashes on screen, and we do get a quick follow-up scene of Kaz and Big Boss on operating tables. Boss is out cold, and Kaz is demanding they do everything they can to save him. We'll get even more context to the scene in The Phantom Pain, so you know, we'll get there. This this stuff was all, like, at the time it was not, I won't say it was completely bewildering, but it was definitely like, oh, I guess I just, I'll figure all that out later. Because, like, this is all, this is the true, like, preamble to Phantom Pain, this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of hard to really parse at the time, so... And it's all stuff that I think gets gets built upon in Phantom Pain. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, they do, I believe, also have a snippet of the hospital scene near the end where they tell you that you've been in a coma for nine years, um, which does set up, obviously, the Phantom Pain. But I think it's supposed to be completely jarring because I don't think there had been any not notion of that in any of the Metal Gear lore that, hey, Big Boss was in a coma for nine years? What? Um, so I think it was supposed to be one of those, like, post-credits things that kind of puts you off-center or, like, disorients uh, you a little bit. So 
Um, it all makes sense, like going back to it now. But like the first time I'm playing through, I'm like, wait, what's happening to Big Boss? How long's he been? He's gonna have what now sticking out of his head? There's quite a lot of like questions that Ground Zeroes and like the promotional stuff for the Phantom Pain were like teasing out at this point. Mm. mission complete for this episode our frequency is podcast sans frontiers at gmail.com and at pod sans front on twitter and instagram you can support the last couple episodes of our podcast over at patreon.com slash my bro my cat my pod i've been manu also known as manuclear bomb you can find me covering the lord of the rings over at my brother my captain my podcast and right around now i should be starting at the Nauticast aso iaf podcast covering sansa 3 from a storm of swords and i have been brian and it is no nation we inhabit but a language shout out to our sound editor stephen boyd aka dj empirical please remember to like review and subscribe on your favorite podcast application so until next time remember the sins never die you can't wash away this blood from our hands